Tyler Hampong. I get that right? Yeah, that's it. Wow. I can, I'm a name expert, man. <laughs> I'm an expert at nameology. I don't know if you've ever seen Boondock Saints. Expert at nameology. Or name Love is. that movie. <laughs> whatever, whatever, that, whatever that phrase was. So, uh, yeah. Tyler, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, actor, filmmaker, travel host, um, extraordinaire. I don't know, Instagrammer maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I think I uh, we linked up on Instagram or LinkedIn, one of those two. But um, yeah, man, Tyler, uh, welcome to the show. Tell me a little bit more about who you are, what you do, what you've been up to. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I believe we did link up over uh, Instagram. But as you said, you pretty much nailed it. I'm an actor, filmmaker, uh, travel host, which, you know, there isn't a lot of travel happening right now. So that's kind of on the back burner. But um, yeah, I do all those things. I'm, uh, I wear multiple hats. Um, uh, right now, we're in my production company, Kill the Fake Productions, and I operate out of Los Angeles. And uh, me and my uh, wife run my company. Okay. Awesome. And we focus, it's a, it's a production company. We do a lot of uh, short films and um, we also do actor services like audition taping, demo reels, and headshots. So now this is something that me and a number of colleagues have been trying to figure out is how is there money to be made in short films? Is there, a, <laughs> is there like a market? Is there like a, and, 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 and especially probably now, I know there's maybe some short form, I mean, especially YouTube. I mean, people have been maybe getting a lot of Google AdSense and stuff like that off YouTube, but it, it, what, what's like, what, what, if you were, since you're putting your time into short films, what is that? What's that money-making, uh, area for short films yeah no it's it's a great question and you know i honestly have the same question myself short films are not lucrative <laughs> i'll say that right off the bat but um what they do is offer uh the creative exposure so mm -hmm. uh with our uh short films uh leap and club rats we uh screened at big festivals some of them were oscar qualifying festivals and mm -hmm just having that exposure to then take the short and allow it to have a life after the film festival circuit online. For example, uh, we have them uploaded to YouTube and Vimeo, but they're also on Amazon Prime Video. So there is some, um, some sort of uh, residual uh, built into uh, streaming platforms like Amazon or something so, like so that. So Prime's now taking shorts. Uh, yes. Yeah. Amazon Prime Video, which is, I guess it's uh, Amazon Video Direct, which is a kind of a subset of Prime. They're, they have different like umbrellas. So it's, it's not, it, it is Prime, but it's not uh, part of their Prime original content, I guess is the difference. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, so what's dawned on me is, you know, say I got a couple of short films. Well, first off, you know, short films before, it's like, okay, we make a short version. You know, Napoleon, Demi Napoleon Dynamite was picked up off of, uh, what, uh, the name of the short. I remember that short. I saw it. I, it was an old black and white short. It was like I Picante. I, I remember the name, yeah. of the, short, the, name, the, the name of the short version was a really weird name. It was like Picante or Delamonte yeah. or something like that. And it was, it was pretty funny, you know, and, and it, it definitely, you know, gave a good idea. You know, like you shoot like a really unique short like that. That's what picked up 
That's what picked up Napoleon Dynamite. That's what picked up THX 1138, I think, was Lucas's college thesis film was a short version of THX. Yeah. Uh, what, what was another one? Um, Bottle Rocket, which made the Wilson brothers famous. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, that's right. It was like a Wes Anderson and the, and the, and the um, Wilson brothers. Uh, yeah, it was, I think it was Wes Anderson's first film. And uh, yeah, it's just kismet that, that uh, these filmmakers work with these great actors mm -hmm. in their first movies and then end up working with them throughout their entire careers. Like that's the, that's a similar story to Martin yeah. Scorsese and, uh, and Robert De Niro. Robert mm -hmm. De Niro was apparently in a Robert, in a Martin Scorsese thesis film. <laughs> and they just ended up being lifelong collaborators since then. Yeah. I need to find me, I need, that, that's the thing. I need to do thesis films and find me somebody to uh, put me in their movies for the rest of my life. <laughs> right, but, right. You, yeah, find that one, you find that one filmmaker and he's just like, I got to have Tyler in every movie. Even, yeah. You know, he makes it he's big. He's my muse. He, I, might, I might not make it big. You might not make it big, but like he made it big. So he just kept bringing, bringing you know, us back into that, that film or something. Yeah. Right. I just want to be like, like Adam Sandler's buddies who, who keep, who keep showing up in his movies, you know, right. the same, the same actors that repeat over and over again. That's, and those are another, career goals. Absolutely. Yeah. And another thing <laughs> that, another thing that is a way to market shorts is, you know, like there's a, this, this big thing now that's been happening for like 10 years is these anthology films, uh, VHS and VHS2, Double mm. uh, X, which was, and they're anthology films. So it's a feature length film. It's like a 90 minute film comprised of four shorts that might all be horror, you know? And it's usually, mm -hmm. I mean, these anthology films are usually horror. Just came out on Prime and Hulu. No, just came out on Hulu, at least, was a movie called Books of Blood. And Books of Blood follows this guy trying to find the Books of Blood. But as he's looking for it, someone will tell him a different story. And then it's like a 30-minute or 20-minute short. And it's a, you know, a very violent graphic horror featurette you know short cool. 20 minute 25 minute 30 minute horror short and so it's, it's like even though if you shot a short film you know 10 years ago compiling three or four of your shorts into a feature i think people are maybe buying that if not just like is there a shorts network is there some you know like like you were saying i don't know there i mean there are uh other distribution platforms other than than amazon and vimeo and youtube um, like I also have leap up on O prime TV, which is another, uh, distributor. And, oh. um, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just about disseminating the, 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 uh, the, the short, like in as many places as possible to get as many eyes on it, because it's not about selling the short to, to, to get it on, on Netflix or something. Cause Netflix you know, it doesn't doesn't take a lot of shorts. Like big platforms aren't going to be showcasing short films. It's not like a big platform kind of thing. Right. But um, for me, distributing it to a bunch of places to get as many eyes on it is is uh, is where the success of the short film kind of lies. Is in the view count. And like and like you mentioned before, you 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 screen you had them you know uh, entered into film festivals. You said Academy. Academy 
Yeah, the uh, one one of the uh, uh, film festivals was LA Shorts, which is an uh, Academy Award qualifying uh-huh. yeah, uh, yeah. festival. So if you won at that festival, then you're uh, you're in consideration for the Oscars. So there for, are some for the pretty, short uh, film for the for the short film. Yeah. Now and and is there money in that, or is that just like the ultimate exposure? <laughs> as a, as a, as a, um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's money. You know, I don't know if there's a cash prize involved in, uh, <laughs> right. in winning an Oscar. I mean, I I really don't think the cash prize would be the uh, benefit of winning the Oscar. But uh, but just just having that exposure would be insane. I mean, right. that that is something that definitely uh, boosts people's career for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's just tricky because there you know there's a couple of shorts, and I've written a couple of short scripts but then i just basically you know copy and pasted it into a feature script as, a, as an anthology anthology film script as well with a with a you cool. know, like a that. kind of like a grander uh anthology film feature film kind of a this grander kind of encapsulating thing and i'm just trying to push that because you know some people they want to look at shorts or some people want to look at features and i say okay well if you're looking for shorts, I got four shorts. Oh, you're only looking for features? I got one feature script. It's an anthology film consisting of four shorts. So it's, it's, that, <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's that just however the hell I can get, you know, something put out there. But Yeah. yeah no, but I love anthology films. They definitely have, have an audience out there. Um, you mentioned VH1, uh, VHS and VHS2. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God, I love those movies. VHS2, the alien abduction film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I love found footage. So so a found footage anthology film is kind of like where it is, 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 I'm like a moth to the flame at, at, in, to, that, to, that kind of, uh, to that kind of movie. So yeah. there is definitely an audience for anthology films. I think I think it's it's made a resurgence just because uh, indie film is so is so accessible right now for for filmmakers. Digital filmmaking has made uh, making movies so so easy now for the consumer. So mm-hmm. you you'll see uh, a renaissance in these kind of uh, subgenres, and um, it's good for the found footage genre because it's one of my favorite horror genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when Blair Witch came out, um, you know, and, and, and I'm always talking about Blair Witch on this show, but Blair Witch, Blair Witch came out. And but r- what's funny is right before Blair Witch, uh, the, you know, the show Cops was on Fox. And so X-Files did an episode where they teamed up with the producers of Cops. And so the filmmakers of Cops came and, uh, you know, like showcased uh, Fox and Mulder. And uh, Scully, no, Fox Mulder, Scully, Scully, Scully and Mulder. Mulder, Fox Mulder, Fox Mulder, because his Dana name Scully. is Fox Mulder. Fox yeah. Mulder, yeah, Mulder and Scully. Yeah, Dana, Dana Scully, she couldn't stand the crew. She was so annoyed, and and, and Fox was eating it up. Uh, you know, uh, Mulder was eating it up. He was just being a ham and and trying to like show off and try to become a superstar on the on the show. But it was it was you know it was really funny. But it was it was such this cool dynamic where they kind of merged two shows um x-files with cops and i think a year later blair witch came out and uh changed the freaking game of this whole mockumentary because before i i I grew up watching spinal tap and i thought spinal Mm. tap was real 
as a yeah. you know you're, you're sure. watching you're watching until like their 20th drummer blew up for no reason and then i realized yeah. oh this is this is just a this is spontaneous combustion <laughs> exactly like every drummer they go on tour with blows up for whatever reason it's yeah, it yeah. so it was so funny but you know like growing up first seeing that i thought that was real it was so well done i thought it was real come to find out it was fake it's a mockumentary and so when i first saw blair which i thought it's a horror mockumentary and then it kind of changed the game to now it's you know these found footage horror movies mm -hmm. but uh and i've brought this up I brought this up, even this very particular note on this podcast before, and it's the genius of, the, of, of filmmaking. It's the beauty of filmmaking, um, especially not only was Blair Witch kind of starting found footage horror movies, found footage filmmaking, mockumentary filmmaking. They were experimenting with it. They only, not only did they start it, but then they were also kind of playing within the genre, even though they were starting it, they were playing within it especially with the ending. And I always talk about the ending, how the most horrifying part was the ending, how the guy, they lost the first guy. The second guy went down the basement with the camcorder that has a built-in mic. Mm. And she's, yeah. she's upstairs with a 16 millimeter camera that has no built-in sound. It has no sync sound to it. He gets hit in the head. You hear that all of a sudden, but you can barely hear her when it cuts to her footage, footage, her audio is so low because she's getting closer and closer to the mic, uh, to the other camera. Mm -hmm. But you see her footage. It's full screen, her footage is. And, and, and like you're following it, but her audio is just growing louder and louder and louder and louder until she gets down to the basement. She's just as loud and screaming and like full volume and then, then the end. And Yeah. It, I'm literally, I have chills with you describing this to me. That movie, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a classic movie. It, it gives me chills just hearing the description of it. And the point that you made about how the mic in one camera is working and the other one isn't. I mean, that's such like an attention to detail mm -hmm. that's, that's, that just brings the authenticity of, of oh, yeah. the project to life. And it's like, whether that was intentional or if it was a happy accident, I know the story behind the making of the film in that the filmmakers would never meet with the cast and would leave them instructions. They had a map, the cast yeah. had a map where to go. Mm -hmm. And they would sometimes get instructions sent to them or they would find instructions in the wood woods, but it was pretty much like a lot of improv. So uh, that, that movie is just full of happy accidents. And that's yeah. like, that's another example of kind of guerrilla kind of do-it-yourself filmmaking that is really inspiring for, for, for people at my level who need to be crafty right. when making a film, who need, oh, yeah. to, who need to be able to stretch that dollar mm -hmm. and call in favors to, to make like, you know, a 10 or, you know, a $20,000 film on like a couple hundred dollars. It's like, right. it's really a skill to, to stretch that dollar. And like with Blair yeah. Witch Project, they totally exemplify that. Well, not only that, I think it's the discipline. I think it's the acceptance of, you know, solid matter, the acceptance of, you know, you need oxygen to breathe. You need, you need money, but there's a way to like, okay, it's that acceptance. It's that discipline to say, listen, we only have five bucks to make this thing. We got to cut 
not only do we have to cut costs and this that, and anything, we have to cut probably cut on quality. We have to cut on. We have to. We got to take a dump on cool props and costumes. We got to like, you know, uh, maybe embrace the fact that it's low budget and maybe em- So okay, we know it now. It's no now it's no to low to no budget. Do we actually have fun with that idea? And that's and and I started. Me and some colleagues started a web series where it was, uh, you know, we were always trying to come up with this idea. Like I was always acting or ADing or production coordinating on, on somebody else's thing, you know? But at the end of the day, me and the colleagues were thinking like, when's, when's our next music video to a track that my buddy made? When's our next short film? When's our next web series? When's our next cool little short film? What are we gonna do that we started but having been an actor on so many of those ID crime shows, you know, I've, I've played a detective in something, you know, 80 times. I've played a cop in something sure. 80 times. And it just dawned on me, okay, I see how low budget these things are. What it, what, oh, okay, cool, cool idea. You know, ID crime show, but Bruce Wayne is done being Batman for the night, goes home, has a cocktail, and watches ID. What would he see on ID? Or Tony Stark takes the suit off, has a cocktail turns on id what would he see on id and ultra low budget i've seen how they shoot these shows ultra low budget id crime show set in the marvel universe or set in the dc universe that's awesome and again it's like you know two-thirds of those episodes is voiceover and you know like a guy a regular joe against a green screen i found a guy that looks like clark kent you look just like Clark Kent, put on some fake glasses, sit, a, <laughs> sit, a, sit against the green screen, and he plays Clark Kent. He's a daily reporter. Of course, he's a reporter at the Daily Planet. Yeah. He knows all these criminals. So he's, you know, describing these criminals, what they did, who they are, and stuff like that. And you kind of play within this joke where, you know, he has a little lower third. You know, Clark Kent, daily reporter. Mm-hmm. People are like, holy shit. Okay, so they're talking about these criminals you know, as if yeah. they're real, but within that universe. And then, okay, so dramatic reenactments. Uh, how do we pull that off? So pre-COVID, we went to Comic-Cons. We filmed a lot of these cosplayers, all these different mm-hmm. Comic-Cons, sci-fi cons, things of that nature. Um, and then- I love them. We have WonderCon out here in LA, which I go to every year, whenever yep. possible. <laughs> so that, I mean, so it was just like, Hey, listen, we have fun. These ID shows, I've worked on them and I've and, and they pay the bills. Don't get me wrong, but they are super mm-hmm. low budget. They know how to cut corners. They know how to like bang out episodes. Yeah. You know, I worked on a crime recreation TV show called uh, Bizarre Murders, and it's the exact same deal. It was crime recreation. We uh, we had, you know, a former, I think it was a former FBI agent who was our expert who, you know, who would study the cases kind of the day of or the day before and come in and give commentary on the, uh, on the case. And um, it, was, it was a fun show to work on. But as you said, it's, we're very concerned about budget as well. And, yeah. you know, um, renting a soundstage that has multiple locations on it so we can shoot, you know, two-thirds of an episode in one location where it has a jail cell, a police station, yep. um, uh, a hospital room, um, a bar. So we just jump from all these different sets in the same day to, mm-hmm. to, to just like churn an episode, episode out as quickly as possible. The yeah. thing is that like 
we had to become so crafty that we had to start um, making the same location look different from they, they couldn't be in the same police precinct each episode when we're in a different <laughs> city right. each episode so it was uh it was also a lesson on on um on making film on a on a low budget so it was actually quite uh quite an educational experience for me as a producer to to get experience uh finding these locations and um uh, putting together these small crews and casting right. the projects and getting it all together. It was, it was, it was a fun experience. Yeah. And, and not only, you know, having worked on them, but seeing the final cut, you know, I was mostly, mostly an actor, but it's like, I remember doing this whole scene with like these two other guys and interrogating them or being interrogated, you know, whatever the case. And then I see it and, you know, depending on the show, depending on the, you know, depending on the show, that that dramatic reenactment was blurred out. All the audio is dumped out. They put, you know, uh, uh, atmospheric music or eerie music or foreboding music over it. They made everything blurry. They made everything kind of kilted angle. Like you, you didn't see my eyes. You only saw like my <laughs> right here. Saw yeah. a close up of my mouth, and <laughs> and it kind of like you know pans to my face and then away from my face. I'm like, they hardly used anything. And then, but then it dawned on me, like, that's how they're pulling this off. Cause they're shooting at the same three different locations. You know, I've been at the same, I've been to the, like the same place. They they would say to me, Hey, do you know the, do you know the college or do you know the, the so-and-so house or do you know the so-and-so art center? And like, yeah, like that's where we're shooting. You know, we're going to be there for three days. Okay. No problem. It looks totally different. Every episode looks totally different. And they might play it. They might experiment with some clothes. They got the same uniforms. They just change out the patches. Is it going to be the light blue cop uniform or is it going to be that black SWAT tac tactical uniform? And then if I'm playing a detective, I'm always bringing like the same, you know, 15 different articles of clothing, you know. Yeah. Pre, pre COVID, I always kept, I, I, I never took the shit out of my car. You know, they're <laughs> like, hey, you know, dope day rate, four days. You remember that house? Yep come on over got all the stuff in there and and they at, at one point having worked with me so often they do just come to my car and be like that 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 i get dressed start rolling and like it's super that's the true mark of an actor having a closet in your car in your car i i'd say yeah. yeah i feel like that's you're you're not an actor unless unless you have you know a couple different characters in your trunk yep <laughs> basically i got the i got the generic detective or um uh like the, the cop thing and 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 basically uh, as far as an actor goes man typecast typecast the hell out of me detective this or officer that i know where my strengths lie and uh yeah you know i you know, saw so some of your headshots in uniform i mean they look great you look great i think yeah. it's it's definitely something that like once you break into that niche you know people know you for that yeah that's the goal yeah hopefully when these floodgates open man and we're back out there doing the thing I know, I know. Well, it's I can't believe it's been this long. I had no expectation that it would. Be I had ex I had all the expectation in the world. Twenty twenty one vaccines cures. Back at it, having fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speaking of which, how have you been impacted uh, personally, professionally, by the by the by the last year? I guess. Yeah. Well uh i guess let's start at the beginning um back in like february march um 
same before the pandemic, everything was normal. I was hired for, uh, you know, a travel job and uh, I was going to host another video for, um, to promote international tourism in the States. And that's something that I've been doing since 2014. I, uh, I will travel to different States and kind of highlight different tourist attractions that maybe don't get as much of the, uh, 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 attention as some of the main attractions of a certain city or maybe cities that are adjacent to a big city that need a little bit more tourism. So that's kind of a, a work that I was doing consistently, but obviously the pandemic happened that got pushed back and um, all the shoots, you know, all travel shoots are kind of on hold for the time being. So that definitely threw me for a loop and um all the production that we would normally go into at my production company, we had to kind of reimagine and um, uh, start taking COVID precautions when, you know, uh, when clients hire us and um, uh, have masks and sanitize everything and gloves. And it's just changed the whole mentality of, of running a business yeah. auditions too as an actor as i'm sure you have the you you have experience um we're now doing everything by self-tape everything which was pretty popular to begin with so it's yeah. not too much of a change but um i've been to one in-person audition since the pandemic started and i was surprised that they they even did that one in-person audition um, but it was kind of when I think it was maybe after like the first wave when everybody thought that, okay, California flattened the curve. That was the kind of, that was, that was the saying then. All right. We flattened the curve. We flattened the curve. It's all right. We flattened the curve. And then, you know, we go out into the world and then all of a sudden the curve spikes and it's like, okay, we have to shut down everything. But in that interim, I had one in-person audition this whole year. <laughs> right. But other than that, yeah, it's, it has definitely uh, isolated us a lot more. Yeah. It, you know, for me, as far as acting goes, as far as going back on set, I had to be super, super disciplined, super sacrificial, and just say, you know, I'm not comfortable going back on set unless a certain day rate certain mileage from home and, and and there was all these stipulations me and the wife had to sit down listen i was i was very blessed because i do a lot of crew work too as well and i got super blessed with a lot of remote virtual conferences seminars webinars live streaming um you know taking in zoom and live streaming if you've seen the podcast then i've been doing a lot of that in regards to uh you know corporate and industrial events and gigs and, and, and webinars, seminars, whatever the case may be. So that's pretty much been like the, the, the forefront as far as, you know, the, the well-paying gigs and, and work here and there. But, but yeah, as far as, you know, what I, you know, dream of doing, you know, the big scale stuff, I was only back on set, I think once, I think that was Jan, not January. I think it was November or December for a, a DOD industrial training video. The, the, you know, the video modules that go into those, 
military courses, those online mm -hmm. courses, and there might be those videos that you have to answer questions based off what you saw in the video and this, that, and the mm -hmm. other thing. And so did a bunch, you know, did a couple of days doing a bunch of scenes for this military uh, training package, um, online course package type deal. And that was it. I think that was two days back on set. It felt great yeah. to be finally back on set, but but then, you know, comes the winter, comes the comes the drop in immunities and yeah got mm -hmm. hit got got hit with covid myself me and the family got hit with covid ourselves so it's terrible it, yeah it was i mean you no matter it, it could like like uh i i have a i have an episode of this a round table where i have like the same usual um my, my usual colleagues we always have a round table and discuss it's a slightly different podcast episode but you know he said to me he goes it couldn't have happened a more safer more covid compliant guy <laughs> you know that, that seems like, to be the case right yeah and it just goes to show that you know it's we need a vaccine super fast because you could mm -hmm. be as super careful as possible and it gets on i don't know maybe it got on my mask and i just happened to touch my mask on i don't know i don't know could be Those, anything I mean, it's yeah. not just like you being careful. It's about the people around you being careful. And if somebody who has COVID is around you and isn't being safe, you know, mm -hmm. you can do all that you can to, to keep yourself healthy. But if somebody who's sick coughs directly on you, there's, <laughs> there's not much you can do in yeah. that moment. So, yeah, it is. That's, it's just a, an example to, to wear your mask. Yeah. Even if you're vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the COVID compliance supervisors for sets. I'm a certified COVID. They used to be COVID compliance officers. I'm a certified one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, CEO. I, yeah. I think they changed it to COVID compliance manager mm. just because officer like, oh, we don't want to be you know looked upon as like officers, like, you know, bearing down, oh, wow. you know, our, you know, our COVID compliance hammers. But um, <laughs> you know, COVID compliance manager, COVID, COVID compliance, uh, what, a, what the heck are they called now? <laughs> I guess managers now. But, yeah. you know, like, yeah, the, uh, couldn't be more, couldn't be more needed. Uh, a COVID, yeah. You know, COVID compliance ma officers, managers, um, COVID compliance on set. And, and uh, you know, I took a risk going, doing that one, one gig, you know, paid yeah. well, paid well. And, and it was great to be back on set. Came home, no issues, no no temp. So we did all the screenings, but you know, just from something, just from something else, you know, got it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's just been tricky trying to like you know, stay busy, stay productive, stay creative. You know. Yeah. And maybe it yeah. hasn't been. I think. I mean, you know, I I at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a lot of distraction. Um, because I was, I had just accepted the position as coordinator of a, uh, filmmaking competition. Mm -hmm. So, um, which was a lot of work. So, and that was during the early days of the pandemic all throughout, um, uh, until October. So it did take up a lot of my time and a lot of my energy to, uh, to coordinate this whole filmmaking competition. So I was lucky enough to be distracted early on uh, with, with work. And um, it was, it was a, a very creative time 
to be able to uh, to to uh, encourage other filmmakers to make movies in 72 hours. Um, that's what the competition essentially was. It was a 72 hour film competition. And um, uh, it was targeted towards diverse filmmakers and um, it's put on by the Asian American Film Lab. So there's a focus on Asian American filmmakers and uh, Asian American creatives. And um, part of the, part of the, part of the competition is that we uh, link the winners of the competition up with mentors from, uh, from ABC and NBC and different industry professionals. Um, so that whole competition lasted, I was coordinating and getting together sponsors and judges all the way from March until the competition happened in Jill, uh, the first week of June. And then um, the in-person screening was pushed back, obviously, and it never happened. So it eventually turned into an online screening, which happened in October. So yeah. all the while this is happening, I'm managing all these fires, I'm transitioning a competition that's normally in-person to digital and a competition that requires people to make films. And now I'm telling people, okay, make a film, but do it in an innovative, creative way, do it over Zoom, do it, um, you know, over your phones and don't actually meet um, or follow the restrictions wherever you are. And uh, some films came in from, uh, one film came in from South Korea, which had completely different uh, um, COVID regulations on how to, you know, uh, uh, stop the spread of COVID. So um, we encouraged everybody to follow these guidelines and to make their movies on, on a, with, with a different kind of uh, process in mind. So it, it did take a, it was, it was very um, uh, uh, absorbing of all my time for like the first couple of months of COVID. So I, I had a lot of distraction with the, uh, with 72 hour shootout in the early days. That's awesome. I mean, but Again, I mean, that's good that there are these, you know, these projects, these, these opportunities to remain productive and creative and stressed like we were back in the day when I go, got to go to set or, or got to run that film festival in person or, but now it's just uh, maybe a little bit more convenient, you know, from the comfort of our own home and we can focus more on the thing instead of like traffic or, or, Oh, I got to get gas and, and, uh, traffic. <laughs> yeah. Traffic. Yeah. You're telling me, I mean, like, I know DC is, is one of the worst cities for, no, th for and, and, and LA is too, right? It's like, LA is definitely one of the worst, but I know from, from my sister who lives in DC that DC is the top of the list of one of the, uh, one of the worst, worst, uh, uh cities for traffic. I just always hear about the collector. Yeah. Isn't that a isn't that a thing? The collector. The, the collector. That's the bus. Isn't that the bus circuit? Oh, I, I, that's that's a good question. I've never heard that phrase. The collector. Oh, okay. I think I think it's I think it's the name for for uh, for part of the transit or part of the city transit. But regardless, I'm sure it's it's hell to deal with. But I'm I'm glad now that every that we are working a lot from home and I kind of beefed up my uh, 
voiceover setup and um, oh yeah yep. yeah just because i've been getting more voiceover jobs i just did um voiceover for an animated short um cool. and i recorded that in my studio so um yeah it's it's about learning to adapt how to work from home now versus uh traveling to set and, i love um, i love it yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was the it was uh, sort of the dream for me to be able to work from home, to work on my own schedule, and to work on a you know a, a number of you know turn passion projects into the the work, turn that mm -hmm. into the business, the passion projects, and this kind of forced that. And I still got to you know do some corporate and industrial stuff to you know pay bills, and make you know mm -hmm. make to to make the ends meet. But a lot of focus has been able to be put upon, uh, you know, financial investments, um, you know, future investments, uh, kind of looking into kind of that kind of realm as well. But uh, the passion projects, trying to turn that into a thing, make, make, yeah. that, make that the thing, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, the podcast, it was like, it started off as what else is there right now? March and April and May, there was nothing going on. Yeah. And, and so it was like, listen, I'm beating my head against the wall right now. I got a couple of cool things. I'm actually utilizing this time, but let me start this podcast and reach out to other creatives, other, you know, artists and musicians, filmmakers, actors, you know, tell me everything that sucks and tell me everything that's cool. And, <laughs> and how are you utilizing the time? How are you making this, the, making the most out of this? And, uh, you know, we tried, me and some colleagues tried this podcast before and it failed twice. And, but now with this thing, this particular thing, you know, I think uh, I'm at 120, 130 episodes and, and just, just doing it and just loving wow. it. And, and, wow. and it's, it's just like, and it's like a it's like a quadruple effect here. I'm networking with you. You're out in LA, but I'm networking with you. And at some point, a year or two from from now, you might be like, "Hey, we're shooting this thing in DC. I need a cop." First, yeah. maybe you know. And if it doesn't, yeah. and, and if if that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen. But you know, all these different guests have different talents and different and 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 different you know arenas that they're working in. And I love to just jump into anything and see what happens. And or I just love to share ideas. I just love to chat and and. And, and that sort of thing, and it works. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't force. I really don't foresee myself being the next Jimmy Fallon or the next Larry King or or anything like <laughs> that, or the next Donahue. You know, nothing. Certainly not that. But again, this thing just started off because there was nothing else going on, and yeah, you know, just reach out to folks. They'd love to. You know, at, at that point, people were just excited to like get online and and share. And it kind of grew from there. But, you know, like you said, it's just uh, it's just keeping things productive, I guess. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are more receptive to doing Zoom interviews these days and podcasts than they would have been pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, even before the pandemic, podcasts we're kind of on a rise in popularity, but I think now it's become a lot more of a mainstream kind of medium for that people listen to. Um, so, I mean, I've done, I've done more, more podcasts during the pandemic, I think, 
than <laughs> than I did before pandemic, which uh, is just indicative of how how much people want this content or how much people want content in general to to kind of distract them from everything that's going on in the world right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it, and again, it's not the quality, it's the content, it's the ideas, it's the, mm-hmm. you know, you can experiment with, you know, the interface and some graphics and some logos. You can experiment with a, a transition of music and, 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 and effects and things of that nature. But, but again, that there's a whole nother thing there, just like kind of experimenting and, mm-hmm. and, and playing with different things and seeing where that takes you. But at the same time, uh, it's the content. I mean, you and I are having a completely different discussion than, than the person I talk to tomorrow will have. Mm-hmm. And, and still it's all, you know, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to intrigue. This, our episode might intrigue Joe, but it's not, but tomorrow's won't intrigue Joe, but it might intrigue, you know, somebody, it might intrigue Bob and yeah. something, something totally different. And again, for, I mean, for me personally, it's just about leaving it open and open range of just whatever the hell's going on. You're, you're an actor and filmmaker, which is a lot closer to what I do is acting and filmmaking. But I had a musician on the other day and we just talked about something completely different, but how, but we're still both hit with the same. Okay, been in the you know been been isolating in the house for almost a year now. How have you been creative as opposed to how have I been creative? How have you been productive, and that sort of thing? And it's yeah. just it's just unique, man. Like you said, it's like uh, you know, talk radio was one thing, and then Howard Stern turned talk radio into something completely different, and then Adam Carolla you know started doing that online mm-hmm. you know, on youtube or on apple Podcasts, and then joe rogan jumped on started doing something completely different but within that same kind of like you know evolving and progressing that same kind of science and art at the same time and it just keeps evolving and now there's just now there's like apps just strictly dedicated to podcasts and it's yeah just, this is baffling to me yeah I love it. I I, um, I never used to listen to podcasts before. It's it's a pretty recent uh, uh, thing for me to jump into, but I mean, it's 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 ruined me for reading. <laughs> right. I'll say that much. It has ruined me for reading. Um, yeah. I used to read so many books. I I was very uh, prolific in the amount of books that I read, but living in LA now. I just don't read as much. And maybe that's also a thing with, with um, I used to live in New York before I moved to LA. So I would, uh, my primary uh, form of transportation was the subway. And I would always have a book on me and read for that, you know, 30 minutes that I was on the subway going somewhere, 30 minutes back from an audition. I get like, you know, an hour of reading it um, any given day. But I just don't, you don't get that in the traffic. You can listen to, you can listen to books, but no, it's ruined me for reading. Yeah. Podcasts and, and driving have ruined me for reading. Well, yeah, for me, for me, podcasts, you know, it's, it's a very select few. It depends on the guest. Um, for me, it's a lot of short form stuff. So it's a lot of YouTube that I'll have playing in the background. And it's a lot of like top 10 this, or, uh, you know, I've got like my 10, 
I got my 10 different categories, pro wrestling, uh, yeah. com comics, movies and music, movies, TV shows, music. Um, yeah, man, I love listening to like the old pro wrestling behind the scenes stuff. You know, like when you, yeah, Bruce, the, Pritchard, the, yeah, the, on the, I haven't listened to any of Bruce Pritchard's podcast, but I listened to the, um, to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, comedy store or is it the comedy store guys the the uh, the store horsemen is what they call themselves because they're the comedy store comics but obviously they're making a reference to the four horsemen store so horsemen there are a couple of yeah there are a couple of stand-up comics in um in los angeles and uh they talk about pro wrestling yeah. And uh, that's that's the wrestling podcast that I listen to, the Store Horsemen. And um, right, their and right, quality now they have to do everything remotely, so their mm -hmm. quality is a little different. Than oh, I couldn't what care. It is in, that's in, the beauty of it. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Is is and 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 again, I I brought this up a number of times. That's a staple of the times. It's a staple of the times. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, doing this podcast, you and I were not in the studio together, sitting across from each other with those mics and those pop screens and, and a couple of, couple of drinks, you know, we're doing this through zoom, but that's a staple of the time. We'll look, we'll, we'll look back on this in a year or two or three and be like, shit, man, those were rough days, man. I remember those days. 2020 was crazy. 2021 even kind of sucked, yeah. but, we, but, <laughs> but man, what a, what a great, what a great, chat i had with glenn for an hour or two hours you know and 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 what a great sharing of ideas now we're working on something or maybe we're on back on the podcast again but you know you look back at this you look back at uh how film changed from the 50s to 60s and you look at, at how film changed from 60s to 70s you can tell by looking at these films you can even tell kind of what year what decade they were produced in um mm -hmm. you know uh uh bonnie and clyde was like out of the nowhere super violent and a lot of people like were were like losing their mind about how violent bonnie and clyde was but that was a staple of the time as that was like the first movie to come out and be ultra violent like that and it shook mm -hmm. the industry and 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 then you've got uh you know movies from the 70s a lot of those b movies you know those biker chicks from hell type of movies uh black exploitation you know shaft yeah. You know, Shaft and, and uh, Superfly, you know, all those uh, 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 Cleopatra Jones, Foxy Brown. You know, when those movies were coming out, it was like it, it was a rise of black filmmakers and black cinema. And it was gritty and, and uh, you know, a lot of nudity. And you're like, I can tell that was made in the 70s. And then you had, you know, the 80s movies. You could tell you could tell they were shot in the 80s. It was certain staples of the times. And now you're going to see and the a lot 80s was so much more like bubblegum too. Yeah. Like everything, the studio system was really on the rise in the 80s. So there's this definite like you hear that music, theory quality. Yeah. You hear that music, you just know that that's like, I mean, that's a that's an 80s sound. It's an 80s look. And it was a yeah. staple of the time. And now you're going to have like all this virtual stuff, terrible, you know, uh, Zoom mic audio terrible zoom mm. zoom camera web camera you know quality you know stuff and it, we're still yeah. having a, we're still having a great time chatting and doing this and talking about that and and kind of planning this and then you know three years later you've got a bunch of films that come out and it's like yeah we talked about that we talked about that on that podcast and that podcast looks like such you know 
so so different. <laughs> this is this is a time capsule. But of, is it? That's exactly the, what it is. Of where of what we're living in, right? That's now. exactly what like it this, is. This like encapsulates kind of kind of our mentality and like right. our state of being. Um, to bring it back to the 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 seventy two hour shootout that I coordinated uh, this past year, the the uh, theme, the mystery theme that I assigned to all the filmmakers was. Um, was uh uh oh my god i forget i, for, I, I, for, I forget exactly i forget what it was but it was um uh going viral oh my god it had a brain fart there going viral was the theme so people could either take it in the the uh coronavirus kind of theme which was very you know easily planted in there and as an as asian american filmmakers there's a lot of a lot of uh, material to draw from because of the anti-Asian racism that kind of was associated with coronavirus. But it also offered filmmakers to go down the digital route of going viral as if I'm an influencer or you know my TikToks or my Instagram is, is becoming super popular. That is also what going viral means. Mm -hmm. So we have all these films that are super uh, are super timely and are very relevant to, to our situation today, just like what you and I were talking about, where these films are, are made over Zoom or, um, you know, they're, they're social distancing or it's about, you know, being quarantined. A lot of the stories were stories of hardship in quarantine or stories of comedy in quarantine. The... Um, Along with the, uh, the mystery theme, we also included a mystery item. So all the films had to incorporate toilet paper into their films, which at the time in March, um, when we, or I guess in June, when we revealed the uh, theme, toilet paper was a very much an ongoing topic of discussion. Yeah, and everybody like, kind of hoarding it. I was like, all of March. I was like, all yeah. of March, some of April. Yeah, that toilet paper frenzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, so so I I, uh, I wanted to include that in the uh, in the theme to to just put another indicator of the time and um, just just to to make it like a bit of a time capsule. And now we have all these films that have this this through line of they're either they're they're themed on going viral and they have toilet paper and there's just like this this through line and this connection between all these films that is really indicative of, of the, of 2020 to say the least. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. as, speaking of which, what's next on the agenda? What's the next set of goals, next plan, set of plans? What's next on the agenda for Tyler Hampong? Well, um, tomorrow, uh, my wife and I are going out to, um, to film some stuff in the desert. She was, uh, cast in a Western and part of the, uh, part of it is that we're filming some of it on our own, given the circumstances. And given that I also have a production company, it doesn't hurt that, that I'm able to film stuff for my wife. Um, but we're going to go out and film that. And it's, uh, I, 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 I'm probably not supposed to talk too much about the project, but okay. it, it's a Western. We're going out to shoot it and it's going to be fun because we'll have, you know, prop guns and blood. And it's just like a little, 
a little snippet. Um, so that's exciting. But um, for myself, so the, I've been. Oh, so I, I don't, well, I don't mean to cut you off. So the so the so the producers are having you guys shoot some of the scenes for their for their thing. Correct. Yes, they sent us a, a shot list and props and you know some some stuff that we would need, and then finding um, we're finding finding ways finding ways somehow to like produce this thing, and and and, and I and I like I love that, and I it, like you said you can't you can't say too much, and, and it's uh well hell I mean I the the the, 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 the for me, the action is the juice. I always use that phrase from heat. For me, the action is the juice. And so, I mean, that's, so it's just still like making something and making yeah. it work. Yeah. Find, finding a way it, to make it work. I know. And it, it, it's great for her because it's, um, it's, it's kind of the, uh, they've already wrapped on the film. And then this part for her introduces her character uh, in the film, but it introduces her character for the following film. So, you know, it's oh, under okay. like it's under the assumption then that when they make the next movie, um, it'll they'll be able to make it in person together. But for the time being, we're gonna shoot this one piece for the uh, for a little teaser for uh, for the next movie. Okay, but um, yeah, so, that's really exciting. I, then, I I I work. I always love shooting in the desert. All of my work has. <laughs> tends to have a desert scene in it I mean, when you live in california it's it's hard not to use the uh the landscape absolutely yeah no i, I love i've always loved desert themed you know like in the 80s and 90s it was always those desert killer movies those desert robbery movies uh natural born killers natural born killers uh the hitcher um oh man and uh, just fool, I know, not fool. Well, fool for love, I guess. But um, that's a Sam Sam Shepard, or was it? Yeah, a lot. I mean, lots of great '90s movies take place in the in the desert. Um, uh, what was the uh, what was the Tarantino film that he wrote? That from dusk was, till dawn. From dusk well, till dawn. Another, yeah, that's a another one. Film. Yeah. Oh, what he wrote is that Jones. was. Um, that is right, but he he wrote another one that has uh, that has um, true romance. Um, uh, yeah, true romance. That's it. Yeah, they've got desert and true romance. They, I think so. Well, I think I think they start off in Detroit and they moved and they went out west. Yeah, and then they make their way to uh, to Los Angeles and then to uh, to Mexico. Spoilers. But. <laughs> <laughs> But there's this movie with Josh Dumal. I can't. I don't know why I always forget it. But it's. But it's. It's right on that desert. It's right on that desert film level. It's so good. Um, and alternate route. Okay, I'm not familiar with it. Scenic route. Scenic route. That's what it's called. So he. Okay. So Josh Dumal did this movie called Scenic Route, and it's dope on like ten different levels. Indie indie film. It was like one of those. Uh, when this came out, it was one of those straight to red box type of movies, <laughs> nice. but it's definitely <laughs> worth, definitely worth a watch. It's like, it's just two dudes, you know, stuck in a car, broken down on a side of the desert road, starting to like, you know, get annoyed with each other and things escalate from there. And it's freaking awesome. Scenic route with Josh Demol. But yeah, you know, I've always, I've always dug like those kind of, 
trapped out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere type of suspense thrillers, action thrillers, those kind of movies. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There was this weird one called Route 666 with Lou Diamond Phillips. I just saw Mm -hmm. it like a couple, I just saw it like a month ago. Um, You know, B-movie, horror, action horror, B-movie, Lou Diamond Phillips. There's a, Lori Petty's in it. There's a couple other recognizable faces in it. And such a ridiculous kind of premise, but still, you could tell they were having fun making it. And it's just one of those weird, quirky action horror B movies, desert flick. But uh, but then back to you. More more stuff more, more stuff on, on on your agenda. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness, you distracted me with all the talk about scenic desert movies, which uh, I could talk about for hours. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, other than that, uh, you said that the pandemic has been a good time for people to be creative and um with that in mind i've kind of been working on my writing portfolio as well so um i wrote uh i finished writing my first or not my second pilot um the real mccoy which is based on a short film that i made um for uh for the 72-hour film competition years ago and um it's about a wrestler who uh who says a racist slur on the air and then has to deal with the fallout and the management is going one way with it, but they also have like, they either, some of the management wants to take advantage of the opportunity and, you know, really turn him heel with it. But he didn't say it to turn heel. He said it for other reasons. So there, there's a lot of competing motives. And at the same time during this whole story, the uh, the women's division is also underappreciated. So a character from the women's division, who's a former MMA fighter, is trying to uh, make her way up the ranks and get noticed. While this re- uh, wrestler who said the racist comment is on his way down. So she's on her way up. He's on his way down, and their stories kind of converge in the in the middle of this pilot. Very so cool. that's uh, that's something that I've been working on, and I'm, I'm very proud. Of, uh, of the script that I've been working on and um, shown it to a couple of uh, industry friends and gotten notes from, uh, from industry professionals who, uh, who know what they're talking about. So I'm, I'm excited to just keep working on it and to write more, uh, more pilots as well. I, um, I'm working on another one about uh, a cult that takes place in a desert no less. Awesome. And then, um, <laughs> yeah. Desert and then another one. I know desert cults. I mean, if you're not, if you're not in the desert, can you really call yourself a cult? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then I'm also working on a, uh, pilot that takes place in a virtual reality kind of half in the real world, half in the virtual reality in a near distant future where you can, um, you can, full dive into uh, virtual reality instead of just having the head glasses. It feels like you're completely immersed and it's a, it's a comedy pilot as well. So I'm kind of trying to develop myself as a, as a comedy TV writer with, with all all these scripts that I'm working on. That's awesome, man. Awesome. Well, you know, like I, like I said, now's the time, now's the time to start prepping and, 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 uh, footnoting i don't know what you call it you know just writing and prepping and 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 breaking down and and 
and planning and, and, and getting everything just getting everything ready to get greenlit. And once these floodgates open sort of sort of mentality, it's just fin like, and I'm guilty of it myself. There's a couple of scripts. I really got to put a gift wrap on. There's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of things that I still have yet to edit that I got to like knock out. Yeah. Like, why the hell have, have not, but you know, it's, it's never like, ending. I mean, it's my, never ending. Yeah. You can, yeah. No matter how many drafts you go through, there's always another version that's waiting afterwards to be written and again it's, it's never ending and again yeah. there's and there and again there's that discipline where you have to say like all right i'm freaking done with this thing like this is ready to be shot i can't re yeah i have to stop you could rewrite something over and over and over again and uh you know there's a good example i don't know if you ever seen van damme's movie cyborg you ever seen that movie uh, it was like no, 1990 so. It, no so that originally was supposed to be a sequel to Dolph Lundgren's Masters of the Universe. Mm. And the writer rewrote it, rewrote it and rewrote it because the first, Ma Dolph, first Dolph Lundgren's Master of the Universe was kind of a flop and, and they didn't want to do a sequel anymore. They decided not to do a sequel. So he rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote to where it, was, it just turned into something completely different. Yeah. And now you've got two scripts. And it's like, yeah. well, I got to keep rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. I'm like, dude, this is done. Yeah, you gotta have this mentality like this is done. If you're gonna completely change it, you just you just have a second movie now. Write that. Yeah, because you could rewrite this thing. It will have gone into 17 different movies. Mm -hmm. Go back to some of your rewrites. You don't realize you have five different films now, or 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 a series of five films. If yeah, you, it's completely if, different. Or it's a or it's different enough to where it's a sequel now. You rewrote yeah. the you rewrote the script so many times you're at your sequel now go you got to go back into your backup saved files a final draft yeah. or whatever find that third version of it and that's your final version of the first freaking movie you know it's, <laughs> but but like like you know like like you're like 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 i was saying you have to at some point all right this is the final draft this is the freaking yeah. final draft shelve it shop it market it put together a tagline and outline and, and however you're going to like pitch it, you know, put together a pitch package or something, but it's done, yeah. dude. It's done. Next yeah. one. And next one. And next one. Yeah. That's true. That's because you're mean, always going to, you're always going to get notes regardless. I mean, like no matter how done it is, people will always give their two cents. And it's yeah. just a matter of, of whether those notes are helpful or sometimes they're just helpful to know that like, okay, I don't want to ever get a question like that again. So, um, maybe I don't need to incorporate his note, but how do I change my script? So I don't get that question. Right. Um, those, those are, those are things that you have to, to consider when, when putting it together. Yeah. And I mean, sure. and I mean, too many, too many times people just get stuck in this perfection, this perfection box where it's like, at some point you got to do it. At some point you got to yeah. pull the trigger and then, and then you shoot it. And, and that's, you shoot it and then another and seven the years of editing. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> oh my God. I hope I hope it doesn't take that long to, to edit edit something, but some stuff just gets caught in post-production hell. Um, but speaking of rewrites, I mean, yeah, it can make a script better, but it can also make a script worse. You see so many big Hollywood films that just have so many uh just kind of logical fallacies that don't make a lot of sense. And this is the product of scripts being 
tossed from writer to writer and just adding new elements that it's like, okay, let's fix this note by adding this, this uh, feature. But it's like yeah. by adding that feature, you undermine the previous one. But that was written by a previous writer. So they don't, sometimes there's just that disconnect. And um, I, th that's a huge problem with, um, with a lot of movies, uh, a lot of big blockbuster movies that just kind of go through massive rewrites. And I know that uh, Mulan, for example, was a movie, the live action version of it was a movie that went through a lot of rewrites. And uh, it got a lot, of, um, a lot of blowback from the Asian American community for, for having a lot of non-Asian creatives behind the scenes. And part of the controversy was that the original script that they based the current Mulan script on was from the point of view of a uh, white uh, Anglo-Saxon character who just, who, who's thrust into the story, who, who we see like Mulan's story through his point of view. Now was, now, were, they, what, they, now was that in the animated feature? No, no, there it was, wasn't. There wasn't, and, there wasn't a white person in the animated feature. No, and there wasn't a white person in the in the live action version either. They rewrote it rewrote. and they rewrote him out, but they bought they optioned the original script that had this white character as a as a lead. I, that, that's just an example of, of I just never See, all these like crazy rewrites. I'll just never understand. You had a script. The script from the animation. Right. What's what's with what's, music? What's the what, <laughs> where, where's the confusion here? Yeah, but there's this white. Since when was there a white character in Mulan? Well, in the in the live yeah. action version. But you already had a script. The hit movie Mulan, the animated feature, yeah. it was a hit. Take that script, and maybe update it, or or but not to the point where like, there's this whole new baffling character out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, so, they uh, did. They that never that didn't make it into the live action feature. It was and just I, part of the, uh, and understandably, but it did also. Um, when people found out about it, they were like, "Why didn't you just start with <laughs> with an authentic script?" But um, that's just an example of, of of films that get rewritten over and over again to the point of, of right, you know, lunacy. But okay, so Disney had a working formula. They were they were live action for the if you want to call it live action they were live actioning all their animated hits so are, are they are they not using the scripts of the animated hits to fucking make a live action because it I, seemed, I don't because, know how it went with Mulan because like I, with I, Beauty and the Beast they kept it like they kept all the songs they did add shot like, for shot wasn't it I I know Lion almost, King was shot for shot. Yeah, there a lot of it was was yeah exactly, and then Mulan they just decided to kind of go out of left field with it. Oh, I have an idea. Like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Well, I mean, I you know when when see there, there's a lot of criticism for say a black Superman, and there's a lot of criticism for a female Thor, and I and, and the first thing that comes to my mind is why they're fake characters. Mm -hmm. These are fictitious characters. What what difference does it make if Superman's black, if Thor's female? These aren't real people. Um, and I've talked about this before. Say we were say we were to do a uh, a, a live action movie, uh, a, 
a biopic on JFK and we made JFK black and we, and, and we did a biopic on Martin Luther King. We made Martin Luther King white. Oh, we're going to play around like that takes away from the historical impact that these characters had mm. on society. The fact that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were black, uh, Gandhi was Indian, uh, fighting against, you know, British uh, uh, oppression, or mm. I think it was, um, J, uh, JFK being white, being a white president, fighting for, uh, 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 you know, fighting for black rights and civil rights. That is where their stance was in the world. That's what made their stance so powerful. What mm -hmm. black Superman? I don't care. Uh, black James Bond. They're talking about who? I, a female now. 007 is going to be uh, uh, black and female. Does that matter? I, These are fake yeah. characters. These are fictitious right? characters. Some people have such an invest have such an investment in it. In, right. in the, like I remember when I don't know if you're a fan of Doctor Who. But for years, it's been a, uh, a white male playing the character of the doctor. And the, the innovation of their storytelling is that the doctor is an alien who can, when he dies, regenerate into a new person. Right. So that's how they got, that's how they, you know, uh, justified the first recasting of the doctor. And they're like, oh, he can be a completely different person. And they made a point to say that. Now, for years, it was a white guy uh, playing this role since, like, the 60s. Um, but only in the last couple of years, they had their first female doctor. And there was a lot of blowback about that, even though it's justified in the universe that this alien can, can regenerate into a different race, a different gender, you know, and it's accepted within the logic of the universe, but the fans just had still a blowback problem accepting it yeah. because they, because they had gotten used to the doctor as this, as this, uh, white, uh, cisgender male, you know? Yeah. I mean, like it's called, like you mentioned it, it's something like, you know, fans have some sort of investment into it, but, I don't know what kind of investment they have. They're not making money back off of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, what was it? I think it's just, you know, like a lot of people have nothing else going on in their lives, in their real lives, that they want to make an argument about something. They want to, they want to be offended by something so that they can have some sort of platform to complain about. Mm -hmm. so, and it's like, yeah, there's way more important things going on right now on planet Earth. Yeah than a black guy playing James Bond or a black woman playing James Bond or, or an Asian American guy playing Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Oh no, oh no, there's an Asian Green Lantern. There's a, there's a black Superman. Uh, you, know, Wonder yeah. Wo you know, Wonder Woman is the, some of the best DCEU movies coming out right now. And uh, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And it's because, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's better actors, better filmmakers, better writing. You have, yeah. you have a female writer-director, I think, on these projects. Yeah, Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins is just doing a way better job than some other folks. Yeah. And, and I think the, the last thing we need to be worrying about is, I mean, again, listen, my argument is they're, fict they're fictitious characters. Who cares? You know? Yeah. But, but I think when it comes to, like, biopics, like historical biopics, I think the, the importance, 
you know, obviously you don't want to change that because the importance is a lot of times the fact that somebody was a male or a female, somebody was black yeah. or white doing what they did is the gravitas of their story. I think it's like, it's always a case by case basis. There's yeah. no, there's no absolutely real answer to it. Cause it also depends on the style of storytelling because the example that you gave with like real life politicians, Hamilton is another example of a musical or a, a medium with that is showing real life politicians that existed in life, but they're, they're, uh, they're, they're uh, colorblind cast. They, they cast the, uh, the roles colorblind. So oh, okay. there's um, like Hamilton himself is played by, uh, 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 why am I blanking on all these actors names? Anyways, it's colorblind casting. So it's not all a bunch of um, uh, traditional white uh, actors that would have played the founders of America. They're, it's a purposefully diverse cast, but it's, it's, it's to prove a point that, mm -hmm. that, it's, that it's diverse. And I feel like they accomplished it very well. They're also working in the medium of theater, which is a lot more forgiving for colorblind casting versus uh, film, where a lot of people just can't get over the logical, the logical, um, the the fallacy that like having a family with uh, with mixed ethnicity would would kind of confuse people on film because it's a little bit more literal than theater allows itself to be. Sometimes, right. like I saw an example, I saw a production of Romeo and Juliet where um, where they deliberately made it uh, racial, where Romeo was white, Juliet was black, and then the families were all mixed. And it's like there's purpose in that, and I feel like it's just getting back to why I went on this tangent. It's always like a case by case basis. Yeah. And what yeah, is the, most the purpose of, of telling the story? Are you just swapping races because it's kitschy? Because it's like, because it's popular? Or are you swapping races because it's with the purpose of telling a new, original, authentic story? And those, like, those that's the big difference. Yeah. And, 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 but then again, Romeo and Juliet's fictitious. Now, Hamilton, I get that because like you said, theater, you know, theater is a, it's different. Maybe somebody is just better at singing, you know, yeah. better, somebody yeah. just happened to be better at performing the character and theater. Yeah. And, and like you said, theater is kind of a different kind of arena than, than if you're going to make us as opposed to making a, a serious and not say, not to say Hamilton's not serious art, but a, more of a drama, like a very strict historical biopic drama. Mm -hmm. You know, those actions, say, for example, you know, you know, JFK being white, but from being Massachusetts, being from Massachusetts had a, is the reason why, and he had a different upbringing yeah. than, say, a white politician from, uh, you know, Texas or, uh, a, you know, uh, a segregated state um, mm -hmm. would have, oh, what the hell was that guy's name that JFK was always battling with? Oh. Anyway. That's beyond me. <laughs> that's, yeah, well, I, I forget. They, uh, uh, um, I mean, he debated against uh, Nixon that one time. And that, that was that, in, that famous instance of 
of of uh, radio versus television, yeah. where the television audience sided with JFK and the radio audience sided with Nixon. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. interestingly, yeah. Um, but what uh, that has to do with anything? <laughs> yeah, Gary. Well, see, Gary Sinise played him like three or four different times in th- in three or four different productions. But he was a senator. No, he was a he was a state governor from he was a racist state governor from you know a segregated state, who was running mm. for president I think, and he got demolished, and he actually, uh, oh geez, well forget it. I don't, too much, man. Too, too, I know politics, American politics. I'm not. I I took and it history, in high school, but and, you yeah. can't tell me to retain it this far. <laughs> and and pre 1980s history. I mean, it's like especially okay. details like that. Like who was the racist governor that JFK battled against? Right. <laughs> that's that's those are uh, those are far too specific for me. Right. But no, yeah. I mean, in that context, especially if you're telling the story of of the civil rights movement, obviously the context of their ethnicity, their authentic ethnicity makes sense. It's all just like, what is the purpose of the story and why are you telling it? And then what is the purpose of changing the ethnicity? Because like I could, you know, I'm, I'm, I am open to a lot of, I'm open to a lot of ways of storytelling. So it doesn't mean that it's off limits or anything is off limits but it just has to be done well and tasteful Mm -hmm. and i think that's like the 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 ultimate the ultimate deciding factor in in what's popular or not it can be it can be offensive to people but if it's if it has purpose and if it has you know a taste level that's that's uh that's clear, then I think like people are going to get offended by anything regardless. So you just have to be knowledgeable about what you're trying to tell and be able to stand behind it and stand behind it proudly. And I think that's like, that's what a lot of artists are facing these days because everybody's so (laughs) critical with, with what gets put out there now. Everybody has become a critic and that's not, I mean, that's not to say that we didn't expect that to happen, given that we're all quarantined at home watching, binge watching TV and movies and stuff like everybody, even before the pandemic was an expert on, right. on, uh, on, on movies and film. But now, now even more so, you know, everybody's watching the same stuff and digesting the same content. So everybody has an opinion to join the conversation and, Unfortunately, a lot of the times people have just just negative opinions online. If you watch, like, if you join the discussion boards for for any popular show, there's always just the negative ones. The negative comments are always the ones that are most liked at the top of the uh, at the top of the feed. Yeah. So during this time when there's like the most original content available with all these streaming services. For some reason, we still have the most discontent among all the viewers, and that's just that's just because we have a lot of access. But uh, it, it's it's just an interesting observation as like a creative putting yourself out there that the the level of competition has kind of has gotten higher. It's become a lot more uh, accessible at a consumer level, but the um, 
but you open yourself to a lot more criticism too because there's just a lot more people viewing content yeah well the for me the trick it's not much of a trick anymore i've you know been blessed to where i was able to just kind of like lock myself into this mindset like i know i have a vision um some people think you know you should do better with this or you should do something different with this and i'm like we can actually do something completely different if you're saying do something different then what's some what's completely different my vision for this thing this is the vision and this is where we're progressing and it and and it might progress and it might evolve down the road but at some point you got to pull the trigger on this and someone's always going to shit on whatever it is you got going on. Some, there's always going to be a negative comment and the beauty, the, the, and another, another point of discipline, another point of rock solid mentality is, for example, my wife says to me, I can't take criticism. And I said, that's not true. I can take criticism. I might not, put that criticism into my work. I can take the criticism. So for example, somebody thinks there's too much foul language in the podcast. Okay. I'll take that into consideration. Took it into consider. I took it into consideration. And then a week later, there's still too much foul language. Okay. Don't watch it. Then you can't take criticism. No, I took it. Then now it's harassment. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, point taken. Now, now moving on. Yeah, but but you can't take criticism. I can take criticism if you if if when you first told me there's too much foul language in it, and I said, "Oh, fuck off!" Now I can't take criticism. You told me, "Hey, I think there's too much foul language in in your show." Okay. I I I took the criticism. Duly noted. Duly noted. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> a week later, there's still too much foul language. There's too much violence in your shows. Okay. Duly noted. Yeah. And then a week later, still a violent show. You didn't, you, you didn't listen to what I said. No, I didn't. You're not, I don't care what you have to say. I took yeah. the criticism and I considered yeah. it for about uh, one millisecond. And then I, and, and then I, I ignored it. Cause yeah. this is, this is my show. You don't, you think there should be shows out there with no violence. And then you make a show with no violence. I mean, it's just you're gonna have some, you're always gonna have somebody that has some, something to say about something. Yeah, I, and I, if I, they completely undermine your project completely, if they just don't get a fundamental, you know, uh, aspect of it. So it's like, yeah, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Oh, of course, I'm gonna take the criticism and I'm gonna make fun of it on the podcast a week later. <laughs> I'm gonna make fun yeah. of your criticism on the podcast. Of course, I took it. So, um, Tyler, new new normal, uh, new normal. New year, new you, new normal, new Tyler. What's uh, what, what comes to mind when I say that? Oh goodness, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, also no. Short. I mean, like the thing. The thing is that, like, um, I guess we're all just hoping to uh, to emerge from this hibernation that we've all kind of been experiencing in the past year. You know, I feel like this whole, like for the past couple of months, I felt like to some degree it's, it's been like, 
I mean, it's not, but it feels like I've been on a vacation to a certain degree and like I need to get back in mentality, but I haven't. I've been working remotely, but I've just been at home. It's like such a, I need to, I can't wait to get back out in the, new, in the world, I guess. That's, that's the new me. When it's safe and when, you know, I can get back out in the world responsibly, I can't wait to go on a plane, which I haven't done for, for a while. I can't wait to see my family. That's like a big thing that I'm looking forward to when, you know, everybody has vaccines and blah, 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 when we can see each other again. Because I haven't seen my parents and my sisters since, um, since last Christmas. So it's been a little over a year now, which, um, which, which, is a, which is a decent amount of time. Some people go longer, but I mean, I, I don't normally go that long without seeing you know, my parents and my family. And Zoom just isn't, isn't quite the same. Um, so yeah, I guess like what I would love for 2021 is to regain some of that normalcy. Yeah. Well, vaccines coming soon. I can speak on that. Vaccines are coming soon. And I have all the, I have all the faith in the world. So yeah, I mean, I get it, man. I get it. It's, it's, uh, it sucks. It sucks. I mean, you're right. You know, Zoom you can only zoom so much and you can only FaceTime or whatever it is so much. And, uh, it's that in-person, um, physical contact, physical camaraderie in the same room. Um, yeah. Like I was a big handshaker and a big hugger, you know, yeah. huge on that. You know, shake, mm -hmm. I shake someone's hand because, you know, I, want to show that bond. I want to show that connection. Um, hug family or that half dap or whatever, you know, and it's like, you know, show that, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And now it's just an elbow bump yeah. or a fist bump. And it's, I mean, it's still good. I mean, it still serves its purpose, but you're absolutely right, man. It's like, got to get into that, got to get back into that, that semi-hybrid old normal, new normal type of, in person, you know, where you, you, you can actually feel that kinetic energy with each other. Sort of, yeah. Sort of environment. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not like kind of lagging on, on with like with internet or like technical problems. Like there's just like that, that. Oh, wait, hold on. Okay. I got you back. Okay. 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 <laughs> there's something that you miss with, yeah. with that in-person contact. Yeah. And um, that, that'll be something to look forward to. But other than that, um, I guess getting my scripts out there that I've been working on while in the, while in the pandemic. And I've submitted it, uh, my script, The Real McCoy, to a bunch of screenwriting competitions and fellowships and um, just trying to make it the best script possible and use it as a way to, uh, to promote to promote myself as a writer, to gain some sort of, uh, use it as a calling card, as like my style of writing. So um, those are other things that I'm working on as part of my 2021 goals. Hell yeah, man. Well, if there was yeah. one last point to make, one last point, one last bit of advice, and you, you kind of put a lot out there already, but if there was one last point you'd want to make, what would that be? Um, I mean, I guess 
if I had to give like any pointers to to creatives and filmmakers out there is to 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 use every opportunity and every platform to be creative. You don't need a fancy camera or equipment to tell a story. You just need that inspiration. And um, with phones these days, you can make a movie on your phone with the built-in, obviously the camera and editing software. And there are different plugins that you can attach to your phone to make like a high quality uh, prod product. So I think the, the big takeaway and what I always tell people who, who are asking, how do I get noticed? You, you have to make your own content and you have to, you have to, you don't get noticed by, by just asking to get noticed. You get noticed by making the content and making people notice you. So with the uh, accessibility of, and the, and the, yeah, with the accessibility of equipment these days, there's no reason for a creative not to be creating. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, Tyler, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Learned a lot, inspired a lot. Um, any, any plugs, links, socials you want to put out there before we go? Yeah. Uh, you can find me on social media at Tyler Ham Pong. And my production company is at KTP Productions. We're uh, killthepigproductions.com. And um, you can find us on Instagram at KTP Productions. So that's where you can keep up with all my work and uh, all my production company's work. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tyler, again, I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, learned a lot. Uh, links to Tyler's stuff in the description below. So check out us. Check out those links, click them all down there. And uh, to my viewers, I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and viewership. I know my guest has. And until next time, you know what to do.